thank you, Sandy Liu. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. My name is Brian Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you students here this morning. I'm so excited. Um, in case you don't know if you're a student or if you're new here this morning, my, my family and I, my wife here and our four kids, we moved here to Champaign-Urbana a little over a year ago from New York City. We're in, we were in New York City for 16 years. And uh, we were part of what we were so excited about was the opportunity to reach college students. And it's amazing how it took over a year for us to have this moment here this morning. So I'm very excited. Um, on that note, I ask your prayers. This Friday, I'll be speaking at InterVarsity's large group. Prayers, I'd ask your prayers for that. And then later in the semester, I'm going to be speaking at Crew. So excited to get to meet more of you students. We are kicking off a new sermon series called Overcomers. Uh, we're going to be studying the book of Revelation. So our text this morning is going to be the first chapter of Revelation. You can open your Bibles. If you don't have one, you can grab one in the pew uh, in front of you, or you can follow along on the screen. I'm going to pray, and we'll, we're going to dive in to the Word of God. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for your goodness this morning. We are thankful that we can gather. Lord, now I pray, affix our hearts on you, what you have to say. May we hear and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and to Pergamum into Thyatira, into Sardis, into Philadelphia, into Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were like white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. Write, therefore, the things you have seen, those that are that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is God's word. As we launch into our series on Revelation, it is a book about overcoming. The word, the Greek word, Nikaio is mentioned throughout the book means to overcome. And so this morning, the title of our sermon is Jesus, the first and last overcomer. There's three things that John's telling us here that we need to know in order to be overcomers. Number one, the revelation of Christ. It's all about him. He's the centerpiece. Number two, the ministry of Christ. And thirdly, the glory of Christ. So the revelation of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the glory of Christ. Revelation has to be one of the most misunderstood books of the entire Bible. I mean, the Bible itself, it's amazing. It is, it's the word of God. It's the lamp into our feet and the light unto our path, as itself is a misunderstood book by many. Revelation being of the most difficult to understand within the 66 books of the Bible. It has made, Revelation, that is, has made for some best-selling novels and for some, I would say, lackluster Hollywood movies. If you're chuckling, perhaps you've seen them. I spent my money in L.A. on one of them and regretted it. Um, but what does it all mean, this book? What is Revelation all about? And how does it help us? That's what we're going to dive into this week and for this, this fall semester. The theme of this book is to help the church overcome. The revelation of Jesus is about us overcoming because he overcame. Because here's the thing. If you follow Jesus, you're going to face opposition. There are going to be things that push against you. And there are going to be things actually even inside you that would try to lead you astray. You need to overcome. We're in a season of human history where overcoming is more necessary than ever. I mean, we are not, we, we say post-pandemic, but it's not quite post yet. And we're trying to do community and life and society. There's a lot to overcome. There's much that's been lost over the last 18 months. If you're a student, the summary of your life ought to be that you overcame, that you live for Jesus, that he's the focal point of your life. 
And not that just the four years or however many that you'll have in your, your, your studies that you would serve him, but that 10, 20 years from now, you're still on fire for him. If you're a middle-aged person, like some of maybe us in the room, the story of your life ought to be that you're not looking back on the glory days of your faith, but that you are continually pressing into this Jesus, that you're living out a vibrant life of overcoming. And as a congregation, because this is a letter written to the church as a whole, as a, as, a, as a community, we're called to overcome. Sin, like weeds, works to crowd out the gospel in our hearts. Satan, like a fire extinguisher, comes to snuff out the faith in our lives. And the world, like a flood, comes to slowly water down until we, it floods out our faith. Those are the oppositions that we face and what we need to overcome. And so Revelation is a book written to both encourage us and to warn us. But let's let's answer this one pressing question. How do we read Revelation? Is it the fiction novels that are kind of sci-fi and, you know, contemporary events and all that kind of stuff? Is that how we read it? And what does that mean? And how does that help us? Well, here's two very relevant pieces here in the first chapter that's going to help frame how we read Revelation. Verse 1, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word itself, revelation the Greek word is the word from which we derive apocalypse. And when you read Revelation, it is definitely an apocalyptic book. And there are others in the, in the scriptures. And um, Daniel would be one. You could say Ezekiel, maybe Joel in the Old Testament. There were intertestinal books, intertestinal books that were considered apocalypse. But it's the apocalypse in the fullest sense. It's both a revelation of something that was hidden that God is making plain to us, but it also is speaking of events that are of the last time, the end time, the, the eschaton, the uh, eschatology, the study of end times. It is, it is referring to things that are happening in times to come, the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you've ever seen an apocalyptic movie, and you compare that to your regular run-of-the-mill action movie, there are certain attributes that distinguish the two, right? So in an, in an action movie, you'll you know, have car chases, you'll have fighting scenes, things may blow up, maybe a car blows up a building. But in an apocalyptic movie, there are portals that aliens can enter into the Earth's realm. There are, there's things that blow up like planets, or countries. I mean, the scale of an apocalyptic movie is of much more transcendent scale. And the same is true for apocalyptic literature in the scripture. It's more transcendent. Other, other prophetic books you'll read, okay, God's saying to his people, I'm going to send you into exile. In apocalyptic literature, there's beasts and there's horns and there's all this stuff that's happening. That is a hallmark of apocalyptic prophetic Uh, genre in the scriptures. The other thing that we need to keep in mind, well, actually, let me just say this real quick. So it's important to note that because when you read these images, you can't take everything from a literal standpoint, right? 
I'm not saying, now, this is, I'm not saying that we can't take the Bible literally. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have, to, we have to recognize that there are various genres in Scripture, and they frame how we interpret what the author and what God himself means. It would be similar for you to taking Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken and then you getting out your Google Maps and trying to figure out, now, what, what road was that? That would be insane, right? It's metaphorical. It's not talking about a physical road. And similarly, when we look at some of the images in Revelation, we can't think of that as like a, a literal thing. It is representative of something else. The other piece that we need to be aware of is in verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace and peace to you. That is an intro of an epistle, a letter. That's standard letter writing language. And thus, Revelation is a letter to a specific people in a specific time and place, these seven churches. But by the fact that they are seven, it is a letter to the whole church. It's representative of the church as a whole. And so we, live in, we have to read Revelation in attention of one, it's written to a specific people in a time and a place. It has to have meant something to them in the late first century. But it's also this apocalyptic thing that's speaking to things to come. It's not just all in the past. There's something in the future. We hold those two things in tension that will help us interpret this book. All right, let's move on. Point number one, the revelation of Christ. If you're going to overcome, you need to know this. It's all about Jesus. This book is all about him. Don't get confused by the images. Don't get confused by the symbols. Don't get you know, caught up in that. It's all about Jesus. Furthermore, as a, as a follower of Christ, as a, as a congregation following him, it is all about Jesus, our whole life. As you think about your thoughts, you're laying out your plans for the semester or kids are going back to school and you're thinking about what you're gonna be doing at work or wherever you are this fall, it's all about Jesus. Verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which, get, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The focal point of the revelation, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ in every sense of the word. It's from him, it's about him. He's the focal point. Furthermore, we see the heart of the Father and Jesus revealed in this prologue, the first three verses. I mean, think about what's being said here. Think about the exchange, the, 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 the chain of custody of this revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So God, Jesus, God the Father, Jesus Christ, to show to his servants. And then it says that he made it known, Jesus made it known by sending his angel, God the Father, Jesus angel to his servant, John, God, the father, Jesus, angel, John. And what's supposed to happen to this? It says in verse three, blessed is the one who reads it aloud, a fifth individual. And then those who hear, who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So God shares the revelation with his son, Jesus, who then gives it to this angel to send to John, who then writes it down so that the one speaking, the preacher, can share it so that the hearers can hear it and listen. God is 
so gracious. He wants us to know how to live for him. Christianity is amazing in its specificity. It's unique. It gives us amazing specificity about God himself. The fact that we could know something inter-Trinitarian, inner rather, Trinitarian. God the Father shares the revelation with his son. That's amazing. No other religion gives you that type of specificity about the nature of God. It gives a specificity about his nature. It gives a specificity about how to live and what is to come. When you look at all other religions or irreligion or relativism or whatever you would look at, you cannot find that specificity anywhere else. Some religions may not tell us much about God at all, but tells you more how to live, the way in which you live, the path that you should follow. Other religions tell you something about God and how to live, but at the end of your life, you still don't know, did I do good enough? It's only Jesus that gives us assurance because he is him who was, who is, who was, and is to come. He has been on the other side and is able to come and tell us very specifically, here is what is going to happen. We see the heart of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in even the chain of custody of this message, the very specific manner by which he is telling us to live. And that specific manner is in the context of a church, a congregation. Specifically, there's an expectation that There would be one reading and many who hear, and they are all following Jesus together. This is about what it means to live as a Christian in the worshiping community. Jesus is the focal point, not only of our individual lives, but he's the focal point of the congregation. Secondly, their second point is the ministry of Christ. Not only do we need to know that it is all about Jesus, but we also need to understand the ministry of Christ. The fullness of his ministry is laid out in verses four through eight. The fullness of his ministry. Often we, you know, we think back and we, we, we look on, and rightfully so, the cross. We should every day and daily and hourly even remind ourselves of the goodness of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But that is not the fullness of Jesus' ministry. That was the inauguration of his kingdom. We're seeing the totality here. In verse four, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. First, we see that there is this Trinitarian blessing, this grace that comes from the one who is and is to come is and was and is to come. That's God the Father from the seven spirits. That's the Holy Spirit. The seven uh, attributes of the Spirit as recorded in, in Isaiah chapter 11. John's referring to the Holy Spirit, one person uh, of the three in the Trinity and of Jesus Christ. By the way, here's something also very important to take note of. Revelation is heavily dependent on the whole Old Testament. But John doesn't say as it is written. He doesn't tell us, hey, I'm quoting the Old Testament. He just does it. He's just so fluent in it. Some would say that there are 400 or so allusions to the Old Testament in Revelation. Others would say as many as a thousand. It is rife with Old Testament connection. Moving on. So we see in in this 
salutation, this greeting from Jesus Christ in verse 5, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. It's highlighting his earthly ministry, the faithful witness. He came to earth. He faithfully witnessed the goodness of God. He showed us the attributes of the Father. He came in human flesh to show us the greatest revelation of all time. Not one that's written, but in flesh and blood. He died. He rose again from the dead. Which, by the way, if you're reading in a Spanish Bible this morning, from the dead, you'll notice is plural. It's from all those who were dead. Jesus rose. And the ruler of the kings on earth. That when he rose and he was exalted, he became ruler of all. His earthly ministry. It goes on to say to him who loves us and has freed us in verse five from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We like this church in the late century, probably the nineties, first, late first century, the churches that would be reading this. We look back on the cross. We live in this age called the inter the inner inter-advent age is between the advents of Christ. The Christ came and he's going to return. And we live in this space that's in between, that's full of tension, that's full of both the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is not quite here. And this particular part of the, the greeting, it talks about what life is like as a follower of Jesus, looking back on what Jesus did and what his blessing is in our life, that he loves us. He's with us in this age of the gospel, this inner advent age, that he's freed us from our sins by his blood, that he has made us a kingdom. We have dominion under him and with him, and that we are priests. We're able to worship God. There's nearness. That is what life looks like. Jesus's ministry started on earth 2,000 years ago. Jesus's ministry continues in this age in between. But then finally, in verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. When Jesus returns, it won't be invisible. It will be public. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This rounds out the fullness of Christ's ministry that he both came, that he continues, and that he is coming again. The fullness of his ministry in all three phases, that there was an inauguration, a continuation, and a consummation of his kingdom. And in this, there is both encouragement and warning. The encouragement is that If you're going through hardships and there's injustice happening in your life, he's coming back and he will make it all right. The warning is, like it says, those that pierced him and the tribes, they will wail, they'll mourn. I think it literally means that they will beat their chest. It's because when Jesus is coming back, he's not coming back in humiliation. He's coming back in power. He's coming back to judge. If you were about to start a job and you hadn't met your boss 
and you go and you start posting all this stuff about him or her that just wasn't true. And then you have that meeting before you start your job. How's that meeting going to go? It's not going to go well. Well, all of life created in God's image, if you choose not to serve Jesus, one who is created to image him on the earth, effectively you're posting all this stuff that isn't true about him. And when he returns, how is that going to go for you? It's not going to go well, right? That's what he's saying. It's a warning. When Jesus returns, he's coming to judge his enemies. But let's move on. We see the fullness of his ministry. Finally, the glory of Christ. We need to know the glory of Christ if we're going to be overcomers. John records in verse 9 that he was on the island of Patmos. He himself was exiled because of preaching the gospel. He's writing to a church churches that are being persecuted for their faith, but there's also sin going on in their lives, in their, in their congregation. There's also Satan who's, who's testing them and tempting them, and there's also the ways of the world that are pushing against them. And so John has this amazing vision. We see the words of Jesus, and we see this description of Jesus happening in verses 12 through 16. He says he turns and he saw the voice speaking to, to see the voice and he saw the seven golden lampstands and he sees a, like one like a son of man who's clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest and the hairs in verse 10 of, for 14 of his head were white like wool, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, his voice like the roar of many waters and his mouth had a short sword coming out of it. This is not the, um, have you seen those pictures of Jesus with the lamb? This is not that. This is different. And what's John's response? He says, he's, I fell on my face like a dead man. This is the glory of Jesus in his fullness. In his fullness. And these references are not random. They actually stem from things happening in Old Testament. The, the, the robe speaks of the priestly, the high priestly nature of Christ. There's references here from Daniel 7 and Daniel 10. You could look up later. Referring to the, age of, the ancient of days, John is clearly saying that Jesus is God. But what's interesting is where is Jesus standing? Verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe. Jesus is standing amidst the lampstands and he tells us what they represent. They represent the church. Jesus is standing in our midst, but he is standing in the midst of his church. We need to know his glory because here's the thing. There's a lot of stuff going on in the church. Capital C. And by the way, if you read church history, there's a lot that's gone on for 2,000 years. It will surprise you. It is crazy. There's a very checkered history in church history. But in present times, you know, we have so many instances where there are those who lead ministries and lead churches that the glory was about them. And they have these historic falls. And so many people's lives are damaged in the process. 
Or maybe, you know, there's these movements that may be aligned politically this way or they're socially like this, and the glory is about the movement. But we need to be reminded the glory is about Jesus. He is the one who gets the glory. When the story is finished with his church, he will get the glory. But he has not abandoned his church. He is standing with this church. He's not canceling the church, but he's neither turning a blind eye. He is purging. He's got a winnowing fork. When he returns, if you've turned your back on him, you better look out. That's the, that's the warning side of this letter. And so it begs the question for us, how do we respond to a Jesus like this? How do we respond to this Jesus? The fullness of his ministry, the, 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 it's all about him and his glory. How do we respond? Perhaps you recall this song by Mercy Me. I can only imagine. It's powerful. Uh, it was on secular charts, I believe, back in the early 2000s. Some of the lyrics go like this. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? This is a, it's a song referencing what would it be like to come into the presence of God in heaven, in Jesus' presence. Will I dance with, with you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. What's amazing is that Jesus' response to John who falls on his face is fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus has the authority to release from death all that belong to him. And that is good news to us this morning if we serve him. Some of the things that this means for us is plain and simple. As John says in the beginning of this chapter, we ought to read this book we ought to read it. We ought to listen to what it has to say. We ought to pay attention to the fullness of who Jesus is. Revelation gives us an understanding of Christ and his kingdom that other parts of our New Testament and even other parts of the scripture don't. It just clarifies very important things for us. We ought to engage in it. And this is an opportunity for us as a congregation to do so. Let's not relegate this book as too hard to read or there's so much crazy stuff about it, we should put it on the shelf. No, we need to engage. Secondly, we should recognize that though many write off the church, and there are very critical things going on in the church, capital C at large, that need to be addressed. Jesus is going to address them. But he also stands amidst his church. And we ought to have that. We ought to have a high regard for his church as well. It is his bride. But thirdly, we ought to take the encouragement and the warning. The encouragement not to give up and the warning not to turn our backs on him. The, the, the encouragement and warning 
Don't allow the weeds of sin in your life to, 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 to encroach on your faith and remove it. Don't allow the, the, the attempts of Satan and his schemes and his deceptions to snuff out your faith. Don't allow disillusionment to creep in. Be vigilant in your relationship with the world and the ways of the world to ensure that the world doesn't drown out your faith. Because if you are a Christian here this morning, if you are a believer, there is opposition you will face. But there's hope. Jesus is the first and the last. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here this morning. God, we pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts through the book of Revelation as we study it together. We thank, we're thankful that you stand in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.